Hello again, I'm Britt and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. This week I chatted with Willem Klumpenhauer, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto, about balancing finishing a dissertation while serving as the VP external of the University of Calgary's Graduate Student Association. We also chatted about the writing process and how to get down to writing even when you have a busy schedule. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? <laughs> Hi, Britt. Uh, I am Willem Klumpenhauer. I'm a postdoctoral fellow right now at the University of Toronto's uh, Transit Analytics Lab, newly founded Transit Analytics Lab. Um, and I study, uh, surprise, surprise, transit, uh, transit planning, transit data, um, a lot of data analytics. Uh, but before that, uh, I worked briefly at the provincial government. And then before that, I was a PhD uh, student and candidate at uh, the University of Calgary um, studying transit as well. So you didn't go into doing a postdoc right out of your PhD, which I find really interesting. Yeah. So what made you decide to actually go ahead and, and pursue the postdoc? <laughs> People ask me that, and I don't know feel like I ever have a completely good answer. I don't know if anybody has a completely good answer for doing uh, any kind of academic or research thing other than um, I was drawn to it. I, I think I realized as part of working in industry and in government that I was um, I was missing the ability to sort of follow my creative nose and, and follow my, um, I guess, my creative brain and, and look for these things. And um, I missed sort of the freedom of being able to go down these different research paths and, and pursue your passion that uh, academia allows. Um, of course, on the flip side, that means that I've been discovering more and more lately that that, of course, means that there's more ambiguity in the whole process and you kind of put more on yourself of what you should, should you think you should be doing or you think you should accomplish. And, um, you know, I spent a year and a half between my PhD and my postdoc um, working sort of at an eight hour schedule. And so now I have to sort of adjust to realize that it's not really about, you know, sitting at your desk for eight hours and and being ready for stuff. So um, I think I was drawn a little bit more to that flexibility again. So that's what that's what called me back. And then the circumstances lined up. That's awesome. So what project are you currently working on? Um, I just finished a project uh, interviewing a bunch of Canadian municipalities about demand responsive transit, which is uh, sort of transit where actually Calgary has one um, where you book a trip on your phone, kind of like Uber Pool is a sort of a version of that. Um, but you can you can scale it up and use um, you know full size transit buses or have have a little bit more demand and so there's lots of places in Canada where they're using that and hmm. so I interviewed a bunch of them and some tech vendors to sort of figure out where everybody's at because it's still very much like people are trying this new thing out and seeing if it works and so uh, I was able to put a report to that and now I'm shifting gears to work um, mostly on rail and rail reliability and rail analytics. Yeah, the on-demand transit, I think, is really interesting, especially, well, in Calgary, we had, um, or we have Uber now, but we ha also had Car2Go. Now we don't have Car2Go. Mm -hmm. They're bringing in another one. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember when I was living in Germany, there is, like, particularly if you're on the outskirts, you had to call ahead on the weekend to tell them you wanted to take the bus. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's still places in Canada that do that too, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like Winnipeg has a dial, they call it dial-a-ride when you have to actually phone. Mm -hmm. And in some places you have to phone the bus driver straight. Like you basically dial straight to a cell phone on the bus driver and say, hey, like later this afternoon, I'm thinking I'd like to take the bus. And they say, okay, well, let's see if we can squeeze you in. And they have to figure out the route. Hmm. Um, and now, of course, uh, you know, with apps and smartphones and cloud computing, it's a lot it can be a lot quicker and a lot more yeah. robust and dynamic. Um, and so that sort of has opened up some more possibilities because it's pretty inefficient to have, you know, a, a transit operator also doing the planning, the route planning and the <laughs> scheduling kind of all at once while also driving. Like it's sort of, it's a, it's a lot for one person to be doing. So yeah. it is reminds me of this uh, one time we were in Honolulu yeah. and you we were taking the bus to a trailhead to go hiking. And which I love about Honolulu, like it's very transit accessible. And uh, so we we're asking the bus driver, like, what's the best stop to get off at to get this next bus? And mm -hmm. he's like, I think here, but hold on. And he calls into like dispatch and like gets their opinion and then right. relays it back to us. And then he's <laughs> like, when we get off, he's like, okay, just turn this corner and wait right there. And they'll right. come get you. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the, I guess, lower tech version of it, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I, I remember the, the transit in uh, Curacao in the sort of Caribbean, formerly Dutch Caribbean island. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very much like just some vans of people and you kind of flag it down as it comes by. And then you kind of tap the driver on the shoulder when you want to get out and you give them a, what is effectively a toonie and hop off. And, and beyond that, like they run on specific routes, but everything else is completely flexible. Um, yeah, that was very much, I think, the the bus system in, in Kigali, Rwanda as well. But yeah. um, they, oh, they were called taxis, even though it was right. like the bus system. And that just confused me right off the get-go. I was like, what? Yeah. And then they had the moto taxis. And we usually took the moto taxis just because it was more like direct and you especially when you don't know exactly where you're going or what route, like you just know, okay, I need to go to this mall or I need to get here. Right. It was a lot more convenient than trying to figure out the routes and stuff. Um, but we did that type of transit to the Uganda border and yeah, it's like this informal informalized, but they end up then systematizing it. Um, yeah. but still very much this like on demand model. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like it when things happen organically like that. Mm -hmm. Neat. So, um, and you're at the University of Toronto. What's it? What's it like being being at? I guess like Calgary is a big institution, but being at a much larger university. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, my experience is uh, a little bit different because I started in March first or March second, I guess, oh. and then <laughs> I had a week and a half of uh, semi-normal going to a campus, uh, and that's now disappeared. So yes, so yeah. I, I, I have, uh, yeah, I don't have a full sense of sort of the physical institution, I suppose, um, as much. But uh, but it is, you know, it is a large university with, uh, it's well-funded and, um, yeah, has a, has a large group of people doing a lot of interesting things for sure. So there's mm -hmm. some there's some scale there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't been able to sort of explore or wander in even to their grad lounge or anything like that, right? And, and, and see who's around. So... Uh, it's a little bit different. Yeah, we'll have to do this again in a year, and then I can actually ask you. <laughs> my uh, my cat is loud, so he might interrupt occasionally, but hopefully he'll calm down. And oh, that's okay. He sounds a lot like my cat, but uh, Sean is home right now, so the cat doesn't bug me too much when Sean's oh, around. That's good. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it sounds like a child crying in the background. Too. Oh yeah, like, who's that yeah. kid? Feed me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so speaking of the grad lounge, so you and I yes. first got to meet because we were on the Graduate Students Association Executive together. Yes. And so I want to chat about balancing or getting through um, graduate school while in a large student leadership position. And particularly with, with you, I feel like you were quite impressive in the sense that uh, you, you started in the master's track, um, transferred into PhD, and actually finished under time. Uh, as well as being the VP external um, and chair of the Alberta Graduate Provincial Advocacy Council. So right. uh, I don't, I like, it's a kind of a big question, but like, how, how, how did you do it? Or what were uh, the, what were the challenges? I guess like, like, let's start smaller. What were, what were the, some of the challenges that you found in trying to do like the, the PhD and the student leadership position? The student leadership. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely a bit of an atypical process because I, I did start as a master's and then up, upgraded, I don't know what they call it, transferred into the PhD program, transferred into the PhD program, and then the whole thing was less than four years. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I actually credit a lot of being able to get done that quickly to doing work at the GSA. And mm. um, I mean, the story I tell people, and I think it's, it's pretty accurate, is you know, when we talk about, about finishing your degree or, or timing, you kind of have to decide that this is when you're going to finish mm. a little bit and, uh, you know, it has to be realistic, but you decide and then you kind of work backwards. This is the advice my mom gave me you work backwards and figure <laughs> out, okay, when do you have to submit, uh, you know, your thesis, when do you have to have a draft, when do you have to have, you know, most of your research collected together, kind of work your way backwards. And sometimes that decision of that date is kind of arbitrary. And for me, um, we were at our first convocation up on stage, uh, watching people shaking grad students' hands as they came across the stage, which was a really wonderful experience, yeah. which I can't imagine doing now. Uh, and <laughs> shaking all those hands, <laughs> even with even with the like gallons of hand sanitizer we used. Yeah, and, there was uh, a sanitizer on the stage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I was talking to uh, 
uh, Bob, Bob Thirsk, who was the chancellor yep. at the time. And he said, Hey, my last, um, you know, how far along in your program, we're making small talk, uh, uh backstage, I suppose. And, I uh, said, yeah, how long is your program? And I sort of thought, well, maybe a year or a bit or, or so I, I should be done. He says, well, my last convocation is next July. And if I'll, then I want to, I want to shake your hand on stage. So you should finish by then. And that was sort of all the, all the motivation I needed, you know, to decide, okay, I've got a year. And even though I've got what's going to be a busy year, I'm just going to try to push through it. And so I got, um, I got better at figuring out how to sort of allocate time for myself mm -hmm. better than when I had less to do. And so I think I actually got more efficient overall because of that. So I guess that's the first sort of point about balancing um, student engagement and student leadership with doing academics is that um, the energy you get from one can feed into the other and having two different, very different things to do and to focus on at a time can really make it easy to not sort of get stuck in that. What I find is sort of a research rut sometimes mm -hmm. where, you know, you, you know, you always have more to do and there's always more you can apply to things or there's always some little thing you said, well, I could try and find another paper and read that, or I can, you know, try this other experiment or I can, you know, write this other thing. And sometimes you just need to like, do something completely different. And I always had an excuse of things to do with the grad student association or with uh, the provincial advocacy group to, they said, well, I can always do that. And it was completely different. And then when I came back to the research, it was, um, it was more refreshing and easier to do. So I think they helped each other out for sure. Yeah. I think I found that too, like during finishing my master's as well. So I started in the uh, GSA as I was wrapping up my master's mm -hmm. and yeah, there was always a to-do list. And so even if I needed a break from uh, writing or from other work, then there was this other to-do list I could work on and vice versa. Right. And that, yeah. that was useful. But then yeah. how, do, how do you make sure that, I mean, you just mentioned how like the, the typical like in your desk eight to four or nine to five type thing doesn't really fit with you. But then what what I see in academia or, and, and for grad students is that flexibility of work really just means you work all the time. Right. And so how do you, how did you do it then? Cause I know you didn't work all the time then. And how do you manage that now in terms of still creating boundaries around how much you work? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a struggle. And like even, and then uh, recently and with the pandemic on top of it, it's been a real struggle to both find the energy to do work and also to not feel like you always should be doing more because you're mm -hmm. around your desk is right there. You know, I'm in a one bedroom apartment and the desk is in the living room. And so it's always a reminder that there is stuff on that computer that I could be working on. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think it, it's recently, it's been a matter of just sort of convincing working and fighting against that constant imposter syndrome that happens with grad school uh, or with academics, I think always, I don't think any professor is, you know, necessarily immune to that, especially like new professors also. And, and just realizing that, you know, you have a certain amount of hours in your day and you have priorities for life and you should probably sort of keep thinking about those. And, um, and the world isn't going to melt down if you don't get something done, you know, in the exact time you think it's going to take you. Because I think the other thing I realized, and this was both with stuff we did with the Grad Student Association and with research is like, you never know how long something's <laughs> going to take or you can never really budget the time for it. So um, that was sort of the philosophical thing. I, I found ways to, ways it worked for me to try and ensure that I didn't neglect a certain part of what I was trying to get done. So I definitely blocked off like three hour chunks throughout the week. I realized for me, I need about three hours to get sort of my brain to shift to a certain thing and then get enough momentum to think about the research that I was doing and do some coding or do whatever I was doing. And then sort of have a second to relax at the end before moving on to the next thing and uh, putting those in the calendar and, late, you know, we even had a system, right, where you put it in a calendar and you label it as like thesis work and people will leave it alone. You can see your calendar. They understand and sort of honoring 
the fact that if something comes up that you decide is urgent or you want to you know go to a meeting for that that can't just disappear it has to move somewhere else and sort of that conservation of of time for for that work i think really helped and even when there was weeks where i did you know cancel one of the 3 hour blocks i still knew that like okay i i know i can afford to cancel this and it isn't just a habit i got into so that was a big i think that was a big part of it was finding some system to give yourself a fixed and re- very realistic and probably less than you think you should amount of time to do stuff mm. um, and and honoring that and then being okay with the fact that if you're not doing something outside of it, you're taking time to relax or you're meeting with friends or whatever you're doing, that that's also like time well spent for yourself and for your psyche and, and you know, for feeling better. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm really not very good at is booking the time to work on it. And I think this is probably one of the reasons that like we joke about the just writing phase taking forever because mm. there's no there's no real deadlines in the sense of like throughout your program, there's the okay, well, you have to get candidacy by so many months in, and then you have to um get ethics approved by so many months in, and then you have to do like all these milestones that you have to hit, you have to, or like before Candace, you have to finish your classes within a certain amount of time. And then you hit, okay, well, I've got all my data now and now I'm just writing and it really can stretch out forever. Uh, but then, yeah, so same thing. So a new opportunity came up. So now I'm like, oh, now I need to finish as soon as possible. Like I was really thinking I could take <laughs> as long as it takes. Right. Um, and then it was, it was actually really bad. So I was like, oh, my funding will run out like April, 2021. So I, that's a hard finish. And yeah. then I got another award that w- would extend that by a year. So I'm like, oh, no, I don't have to finish anytime soon. Um, and then this new opportunity came in that's like, oh, actually, I need to finish like as soon as humanly possible. Right. Um, and that has shifted my perspective. Like even this week, we got a revise and resubmit. And so the team, I like, I'm like the last author and the team was like, can we meet to discuss revisions? And I was like, I can't meet, but give me a task. That's fine. Right. Um, but I can't take time away to meet and do all these things. Like I need to like hyper focus on getting this done. Right. So hopefully yeah. that will help. And I find that, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy that I mean, I, I, me personally, when other people say, Hey, I, this is, you know, I don't, I've got a busy week this week helping organize a conference and I'm doing this. So I can't make this meeting or I can't help with this thing. But if you give me a small thing to do, I find that completely reasonable and I'm happy to, you know, most people are happy to reschedule. But then when I do it to myself, I find that like, if I apply that same logic to myself, I'm less reasonable with myself about it, right? And so I have to almost say, okay, so what would this person or what would I say if somebody was emailing me about this? I'd be totally fine. Okay, so then I have to like give myself permission to do that, to to ask for that and sort to say like, no, I can't do this. You know, that's the biggest part is separating, you know, applying this, you know, don't hold other people to the same standard you hold yourself and vice versa. I think it sort of works. Right? Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, it's hard for me to say no when people are like, can you help with this? Or here's a project or, or this looks interesting. And because I want to take up every opportunity possible, everything, like I want to say yes to everything. You just can't. And I've yeah. even, yeah, I've had to also draw a line with another project that was taking kind of a while. And I was like, look, I'm like, I'm going to get as much as I can get done by this date. And then I have to just hand the project back over to you. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, you're right. Like people are pretty understandable and a lot more reasonable than you think they're going to be when you're like, oh, I have to pass this on or I have to, I have to say no. Yeah. And I found and I, I find still and I found also uh, at the Grassy Association that it's, it is easy to say yes to little things in part because they're usually fairly small, but they mm-hmm. add up, right? And they often, oh, yeah. and each sort of thing. So I, at one point I was doing some work with the neighborhood association that I was a part of, and there was grad student association stuff, and there was research stuff, and there was like separate research, non-PhD research stuff. Um, and then there's like personal things going on. And each of those kind of ebbs and flows at different rates. And so there's kind of a physics analogy here where every once in a while, all of them will line up in a single sort of beat and add to each other. And 
Um, that's an, inevitably like once a year, I find, oh my goodness, I'm completely overwhelmed because everything happens to have come together. And sometimes it's predictable and sometimes it's not. And I find either way, it still happens and it's still unavoidable. Um, so you have to sort of recognize that that's happening and go, okay, which of these can I simply say no to? Yeah, that's a good point. Like it doesn't really stop just because you've stopped or like ended one role. Um, right doesn't mean that other roles aren't going to get added to or just because like you're done your your phd now doesn't mean that there's not other things that are going to kind of fill up that void that being mm -hmm. done that that leaves yeah absolutely and and even with academia like there's always little loose ends or things that you worked on previously like i think there's been a couple of different research projects that i was involved in in calgary that have just now sort of come to the point where we're submitting something and so i was working on that, which is, you know, from a job description point of view, doesn't fit exactly in, you know, the postdoc I signed up for, but it's a hundred percent what I need to be doing because it develops your research portfolio and it's an important thing to do. And it's, it's good to work collaboratively with people. So it's exactly the thing I should be doing, but it's not something I would have necessarily expected or seen written down. Right. So it's mm -hmm. not as cut and dry. That yeah. yeah, that's, that's so true. And, and, thinking I like how you're thinking about how does this fit in a role that I'm doing as part of that time in those hours versus everything on top of each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So from the student leadership role, uh, like for those who are maybe thinking um, of going into student leadership, I mean, the next round of elections is kind of far away, but those who are thinking about going to that role or who are in that role now, um, are there skills that you developed in that role that helped you one finish your dissertation and then two helped you get to where you are now? Hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely s some skills and the obvious ones are, are those sort of time management techniques and, and recognizing that not every solution works for everybody in terms of, of time management. But I, I think also the, um, experience, the experience of seeing so many other students um, in so many different disciplines, which I don't think you generally get in a program without doing some sort of student leadership, mm -hmm. all sort of facing the same struggles, but in completely different ways, right? Like, you know, a, a very engineering and science-based discipline seems like it would be completely different from an experience in like an arts or humanities program. And yet there's so many analogs, right? There's so many things that are, the same and that people experience with like funding problems or managing your supervisor or hand, you know, how to interact with your supervisor. And so I definitely think I learned a lot about um, the university and how universities work and how, um, you know, people's experience with different professors It put my experience in perspective um, as well to sort of understand, okay, what I'm experiencing, this part of what I'm experiencing is, you know, normal and good and valid or in this part of what I'm experiencing might not be um, the norm. And, and so it gives you reason to change. So almost more than skills, I think it was the, the fact of seeing other people going through the same thing in a different way that I think was the most helpful in terms of thinking about getting into um, student leadership and, um, and getting involved. I think uh, maybe more broadly, I, the, I think my advice would be to sort of, have a good sense of what um, the student association that you're working with is like, I think. So, I mean, Calgary is a pretty shining example. I mean, I realize it's a bit of a bias. <laughs> you, can, you can count some bias, but, but having learned from and experienced other, yeah. uh, other, other graduate student associations, I think there was a, there was a very good culture of, um, you know, helping each other out and recognizing that academics comes first and then this comes second. And, um, and there was a very good structure and support in place to, um, you know, help you out, right? It, it wasn't, it wasn't all of the responsibility being put on you that you were asked to make sometimes fairly intense decisions or help support certain intense decisions, but you didn't feel like you had to, you know, completely take all of it on yourself. Mm -hmm. And if that's there, I think that also helps when you come in. That was a very sort of something that was communicated very early on when we started that this is the case. And so that helped make the role a little bit more manageable, even just from a, just from like a like a psychological point of view of not having to 
to take that all on. So I would hope that that's true everywhere, and I'm not sure it is. Um, you know, if there's grad students listening from outside of Calgary, uh, that would be something to look at, uh, at before you get into it and talk to people who's, who've had those experiences. But I think the positives were, you know, vastly outweighed the negatives in terms of, um, yeah, being able to just see all these experiences and do something really rewarding and then also just feel better about myself as a grad student <laughs> in general, right? And, and see that you're one of many people all going through these different and yet similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the confidence it gave me as well to be like, okay, I can, this is like a hard thing to do to, to be a leader in this organization, but like you can do, I can, I can do hard things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, I really liked how going in, like our executive director was always like, you're, you're here to get your graduate degree. You're not here just to do this leadership role. And so to make sure that we were balanced and supported. And, um, I mean, for me, even to be as far along as I am after two years of presidency, like, I think that's, yeah, that that speaks to to how much how important that was to the organization as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we had, I mean, even in our year, we had um, two two of our four, three of our four finish um, finish their degrees at the same time. So yeah, three of our five. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and so that's like, and that was thought of very positively generally by the sort of the culture was like, hey, cool, we were trying to make it so that this is possible. And so people can feel empowered to do that and not feel like they have to completely set everything aside. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that actually translated to like even administration, the university administration kind of recognized that as well and was really positive about, you know, trying to make sure that happened while also still seeming really interested in what, um, you know, in our input on things too, right? So... Yeah, I think that was definitely seen as a positive that um, that we were striving to balance it, um, but also finishing because I think I, I like for it to be one or the other. I think in the past there's a lot of, and I mean other student associations too, where it's like, okay, this is just what I'm doing now, and this is my job for a year, and I'm taking a, a pause out. And I mean, even our undergrad student union does that, okay, where it's yeah. very much just like a pause out for the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's really hard, especially as graduate students where we're older, we want to move on with our lives. Like the graduate degree is not an end. It's just, it's the means. And so, yeah, yeah to justify taking a full year or two off to do this role doesn't, doesn't really fit. Yeah. And I think it removes you from, I, I, I think it removes you from sort of academic life a little bit if you were to pause. And so I think, mm -hmm. it, I think it actually makes you a better leader to sort of still have that front and center, to still have the fact that, you know, you are kind of supposed to be an independent researcher and thinker, and you are supposed to be sort of working your way through something like, like some big project like this, and you're supposed to be kind of project managing your own thesis in a way. And I think that keeps you connected. I think it would be a loss to, to basically have it be just pausing um, as well. Yeah, because then, like, as you said, when people come with their issues or their struggles or their whatever yeah. they're going through, and to be able to relate in a sense like, yeah, I also have a supervisor I have to coordinate with, and I also yeah. have my dissertation that I have to write, or I also have side projects going on and whatnot, versus, oh, I just work in an office now. This is just what I do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to say something else and then it completely left my head. That's all right. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking you, you had mentioned earlier about the, the sort of compressing all of that into four years and, and doing the, like I look back on it now and I realized that there, I did do a lot in that year in the sense of, um, you know, on paper, at least in terms of being chair of the, uh, the Alberta Provincial Advocacy Council. I was like really involved in interviewing and and uh, selecting the next chancellor for yeah. the university, which was a big thing. And um, and then there was yeah, there was some strategic planning stuff we were doing. So there was you know, which is I guess all part of the job description. But um, and then finishing the degree. And I feel like they sort of just fell into place. It didn't feel like 
I really had to, um, I really had to set other things aside as much as I would have expected um, to do lots of that. I think it's more a reflection that you just get exposed to lots of really interesting and different things. And mm -hmm. when you're doing this student leadership, rather than it sort of taking up a huge amount of your, your life and time um, that you can finish it all. Cause I really don't think that, you know, I, I was particularly special about getting, getting things done quickly or, and, and I had, I think this, this semester before I definitely was, you know, suffering from some kind of depression and I was, I was getting like next to nothing done. I think I, I had no idea if I could list on one hand what I did on, 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 in a, in that semester. And then the next semester and year was, was like really quick. So I think, um, hmm. yeah, I think it's, I think it, it's all just managing those things and, and you letting them feed off each other a little bit mm -hmm. in a positive way, hopefully. Yeah. And I think like, definitely hear from you, like the prioritizing, it's like, okay, this is the priority. And then this is the other stuff I could do. Um, but I have to still make time for this. And I mean, mm. everyone who talks about how to write more or how to get writing done, they always say schedule the time and honor it. And yet I can't seem to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a little, I guess there's a little bit of differences in like my thesis was, uh, under a hundred, just under a hundred pages for a PhD thesis, which is short. And I was like, yeah. even in my defense, people said, thanks for making that. They, you know, it was appreciative. Of, of it being short. So I think that's, but you know, there was lots of equations and, and you know, lines of code behind it and everything like that too. So there's, there's equivalencies, Yeah. but, um, but I do think, yeah, I, I do think having those three hours, I probably can be, and I found that even now is that if I get four hours of good work in, in a day, that's like, can be a whole week's worth of productivity in another week. Like, Oh, that's so true. It's, yeah. it's not just like slightly better. It is orders of magnitude better to get yeah. like a good few hours in a week than a whole week's worth of bad hours. Right. And yeah. And I found if I was, if I was, if I set myself up to be somewhere and that would be productive to working or conducive to working on that. And I put my headphones in and I like waited for the little alert on my calendar to pop up. And I said, great, I'm going to open up my thing. And I know it's going to take me. That's the other thing is like, I know it's going to take me half an hour to get into this mm. and I'm just going to sort of poke at it. And then eventually something will hook me, whether it was like, you know, working on some data stuff and going, Oh, interesting. I never looked at it this way. And then suddenly three hours are gone and I've had this huge, huge amount of stuff done. Or I think I'm going to just see if I can write the start of this introduction of this chapter or sort of set this up. And then I realize, Oh, actually I really want to write this part instead. And, and so you don't have to do it in a very structured and linear way, but you just have to give yourself the time to get hooked on it. Right. And that's what makes academics so interesting is you can just follow your nose and get hooked on things. Um, but you have to give yourself the ability to do that. Right. So, yeah, I think that's such a good point. I do find as well. Um, like if I'm using the Pomodoro technique, like it takes me the first 25 minutes just to get into the work. And then I don't want to take a break because now I'm, I'm in yeah. it. And so I, I'm in a few writing groups that use that technique, but I'm not, I don't really use it much. I kind of follow along and be like, yeah, you guys use it, but I'm, I'm kind of in it now. Right. Um, but I don't plan for that time. And so that right. just feels like sync time. Whereas, yeah, if I added on an additional half hour at the beginning and yeah. say, well, actually, no, just start at like 10 and instead of 1030, um, yeah. that, that might help. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that concept of, of flow or in the zone or whatever is, is, I think it is really important and you have to figure out for yourself what it is that gets you into that also. Like what, it's not that there's a formula that you'll find that works for you. It mm -hmm. is, it is what can I do to create the prob highest probability that will happen and then, you know, be okay when it doesn't happen sometimes, but figure out how to set it up so that it happens maybe more often than it doesn't. And so you can sort of get yourself hooked in. But then if you have a day where you set it across these three hours and you don't feel like you've really gotten into it and you know, you haven't gotten yourself hooked on it, that's okay too, because you yeah. always roll like so much about grad school is kind of rolling the dice on things. <laughs> and in many ways, like don't get me started on scholarship applications and gambling. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. like that's, that is a whole thing as well. And I do remember now that we're talking about this, I remember a few times throughout the year, I actually got out a pad of paper and at the title up top, I wrote things I've agreed to do or things I've been expected to do. And I would make a list, however trivial, 
like, you know, I've agreed to, you know, clean the bathroom this week up to like, I've agreed to, you know, help this neighborhood association with a research proposal or something and write them all down. And as they come to you kind of stream of consciousness. And then I would like pick three that I thought um, really had to get done. And I would like circle those. And then I would pick two. This was when I was at my most panicked. And I would take like two or three that I was like, the world will not end if I don't do these. And I would just like with a Sharpie cross them off. And then I'd be left with this like, okay, these three things I'll do. Then these three, these three or four things I will get to if I have time. And I'm not, I'm not going to do these this week, period. And I would, you know, send the right emails or send emails to people to let people know. And something about writing it down on a piece of paper makes it, you look at the paper and you're like, oh, it's actually not that big of a list. Or, or you look at it and you go, it is a really big list and it's okay for me to cross these off because look how big this list is. And you can like hold it up to people or yourself or the mirror or whatever it needs. But I think, I think that's actually such a great tool as well, because I think we don't realize how much we're actually just carrying around in our heads all the time mm-hmm. and just having to remember all the things that you agree to takes up yeah. so much mental energy that it can then be really hard to focus on other things. Yeah. And so if we just, yeah, do that kind of brain dump. Um, and I've done similar, but when I'm struggling to get into the work, I then just like, I'll just pull out the document and just like start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's trash and it needs like a lot of work. So this week I was really struggling. Like I need to be coding my data, but I just like couldn't get into it. So instead I just, just like, okay, I'm just going to start writing the paper. And so I like drafted up the methodology section and whatnot. And yeah, it needs a lot of work. It needs citations. It needs all that. But at least then like that's out of my head and now I can get into, okay, what does the data say? Um, but yeah, I think that that brain dump ideas is really good. Yeah, for sure. And as, as somebody who's sort of infamous for not being good at taking notes, I, I have more and more realized the value of writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not when you're listening or, or recording information or learning things, but even just sort of getting it off of, off of your head and into yeah. onto the paper. Yeah. Um, and I had the like. It's interesting people talk about this writing phase, and I didn't have that really in my thesis. I think there was a couple of little things I did at the beginning that paid off, is which was I got really excited about starting grad school, and I looked up, I did a bunch of research on reference managers, mm. and I like decided on one. And I started using it before I even started, like before I really even knew what the heck I was doing. Yeah. And that saved my life. And I got really into a system and I like started a thesis document, like first week of school, I just yeah. created an empty one and I like created a format for it and I had it all set up nicely and I had nothing to put in it. And, and then I started just using it as a notebook and I would, yeah. I would just like write a, write some, you know, half-assed sort of one or two paragraphs about something and realize later on that it was garbage and I would remove it or put it in a scrap pile but it was there and I could replace it with something better yeah so I found towards the end that I actually had much more written that way than I would have if I had sort of collected a bunch of stuff and then sat down and started writing uh, writing up the results and I think I think that like research and then writing thing happens like it happens in science for sure as well as as in arts and um it'd be nice if it was a little more integrated, I think. So if you, if you have the ability to, to sort of just even journal it somewhere and write like you're writing a thesis, just use that kind of language. Um, it doesn't have to be good. You can go back and clean it up. Um, that'll help you a lot, I think too. That's such a good point. And I found I had to do that more when I was, uh, writing my candidacy, like critical literature review paper mm-hmm. in that, I was just reading and reading and I was like, oh, I just have to start. So I just started my document, like put in my headings and just started putting stuff in sections and that helped. Um, And then what I'm doing right now is as I'm reading papers, I'm putting them in like a list of, okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to use this paper actually for like this manuscript or this paper will be good for this manuscript. Um, And, and that's helping. Um, But now that you say that, I'm thinking like, you know, I should just like, just put it directly into the lit review section and, and kind of just type up, how it applies to my work and I can always go back later and change it and fix it, but actually getting it into the thesis, like seeing a higher word count is always encouraging, right? Like success sure. breeds success. Yeah. And so if you see that you're making progress, you're going to be like, okay, well there's progress happening here and, and seeing those sections grow will help. Yeah, absolutely. And even like silly little things like just writing the sentence, like this is in this, 
this will help me understand this because, or like some starting prompt sentence that you know you probably won't keep at the end, but kind of just starts you and like, how would I be like, if I just type this out, how I would explain it to somebody sitting next to me into the paper, then it's at least there and you can wordsmith it afterwards. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it can just be very blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to make a whole lot of grammatical sense even, but, yeah. um, but, but sort of getting the idea out there, then you realize, okay. And it, I feel like it validates too, that the idea, the ideas in your head are coherent. Once you sort of spend a little bit of time getting them, you don't even have to spend that much time. But you have some ideas. Yeah. Or yeah. the other one, I can't remember where I read this, but to write just like what you would say at a conference presentation. And so like, I find I love conference presentations. I hate writing papers. And so, and so trying to sit and write a paper is, is hard, but then, so I've started being like, okay, we'll just write what you would say. And then you can like getting over this hurdle of it sounding good enough or reading academic enough, um, right. that can all be edited later but getting over like this terrible first draft idea and just like, yeah. okay, how would I say it at a conference? How would I express this? And just getting it, getting it off. Yeah. yeah. Or, and you know, even like, how would I, I'd be having a beer with a friend and lean over and explain and literally just type like, okay, so here's how I would get this to work. I have this type of data and I'm going to need it to look like this kind of thing. So, and, and just sort of typing and literally like that like i'm like i'm scribbling on a piece of paper in front of somebody who's interested in my subject of like okay here's yeah. how this phenomenon works and you know what it is and then i can go back and you know translate it into into writing basically yeah. oh yeah or like that's how i got to my theoretical framework was really like none of the theories that are out there were kind of working for what i'm mm -hmm. trying to do and so yeah. i just started like drawing in my notebook i was mm -hmm. at a conference and so i find that also a really good um, environment to write in. I feel like I always try to build in like a little mini writing retreat when I'm at a conference because I'm stewing and all that stuff. Right. And so it makes me really start to think about my work in relation to other people's work. And so I sat down, uh, and, uh, it was at the UBC. So I sat down in UBC education library in the middle of conference sessions and just took a break and just started drawing like where I see the intersections and where I see the, the feedback process and all that. And then I had my theoretical framework. Um, and then I went and like typed up like four or five paragraphs about it and, and with citations and everything, but sometimes just that, like get away from the computer and just draw it out too. Right. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was something else you said too about, no, I can't remember. We've been talking a lot about different things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole conversation just about conferences. <laughs> Even... Oh yeah, and then like we don't have any right now, which is so tragic. Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Oh, sorry. I was saying we don't have any conferences right now, which is really tragic. Yeah. So, oh well. Um, yeah. Yeah, but so where do you where do you see? I like I guess you're not supposed to ask this of PhDs or postdocs, but right. where do you see yourself going post post postdoc? <laughs> um, I think, it, uh, I think sort of, I've, I've had this back and forth of trying to, uh, of, of deciding whether I was really wanted to do academia or not. And I realized mm -hmm. that if I'm going to do a postdoc, then I, what I really want to do is be a professor, right? That's definitely what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that, that's, I think the ultimate goal now, um, as you kind of mentioned earlier, I have two years worth of funding. So I kind of think in chunks of funding, right? That's kind of how yep. you plan your life for yep. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of times. And, uh, and so, you know, two years of, of funding and then I'll figure out where I'm going next. Right. That's basically what it is. And so I've heard people mention that doing a postdoc is sort of the, um, <laughs> the, the best part of like the best people who are, you know, my mom was a professor uh, her whole life as well. And, yeah. and she said, you know, these are the best, these are the best years because you get to just do research. And <laughs> if you have some funding, it's good. And you, you just do research. You don't have to worry about teaching. You don't have to worry about community service or committees. And you might like those things and you'll get to do lots of them, but here's your like two years to sort of just do what, and you're kind of, you're of the age that your brain is the fastest it's probably ever going to be, which is sad, but but not, but not entirely wrong. Um, so I'm really trying to give myself permission to just enjoy doing that for the next, mm -hmm. at least, yeah. at least for the next year before thinking about, you know, applying for things as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
um, and and get curious about stuff and and you know do research and build build up a portfolio. I think is the is the ultimate goal of doing the doing the postdoc. But yeah, building up those um, pu- publications and and whatnot. So yeah, 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 for sure. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting, and uh, it's yeah it. it it is again, I feel like every step of the way, like starting the PhD or starting the master's, it was so sort of open-ended and I have, you know, I had the fortune of having a prof that was very, um, a PhD supervisor that was very sort of willing to let you wander and explore and saw the value in not necessarily um, making progress on things step by step, but that, you know, things come in waves and spurts and that ideas come, you know, at weird times and you kind of try and create an environment where those can happen. And, yeah. and so, you know, I think in part that translated to a fair, some, a fair bit of anxiety about the ambiguity. Um, and that's where I think most of my like stress from grad school came from was like candidacy was just over the top stressful for me, not because I was, didn't know what I was doing or I was worried about the material, but just because I just didn't know what the expectations were of me at all. Yeah. And, I had yeah. no, I had really no, and nobody was really worried about it, which is really all I had to go on was that, you know, that, that, okay, if there was a problem, it would have been communicated to me. And if there, if there was a problem and it wasn't communicated to me, that's like a whole bigger problem that, you know, needs to be solved. So I have to kind of trust that a little bit. And then with the postdoc, it's like even more, you're your own kind of research you lead your own research for the most part and yeah. you get involved with stuff and you have a supervisor, but they're not a supervisor in the sense that they sort of control whether you get a piece of paper or not. They are your supervisor in the sense that, you know, they're there to give some advice and yeah. otherwise you do what you need to do. And so getting used to that uh, is yet another step of like getting over the imposter syndrome a little bit, getting over the, yeah. you know, yeah, self, like the what you did about candidacy like I remember too people like oh you'll be fine I'm like that does not help me (laughs) don't worry about it it's you'll be fine like how (laughs) how do you see that helpful (laughs) my my mom gives some very practical advice sometimes one of the things she says is the only good thesis is a finished thesis which I think is great which is a great line um and the other thing she said when I was freaking out about this candidacy stuff was um look it's going to take a hell of a lot of paperwork for them to for them to get rid of you and it's going to look bad on them. And, um, you know, so, so unless they're kind of indicating to you or, or there's, there's some, there's some problems with that then, or you have some person that's going to cause a disruption in it, right? Who knows? There's some personality conflicts, but, but usually you get a sense of those, but otherwise like it is a lot of work to not have you sort of carry on with your program and you would have gotten wind of that already. So I think, yeah, I that's think true. That's a big part of it. Right? Yeah, in all those cases where we were working with people who hadn't, who had failed candidacy, or who right. um, were were in a PhD and were kind of counseled, you should just leave with a master's. Um, aside for like, I could think of one example where it was really like a blind side, um, right. and that was should should not have been a blind side, but right. Um, then it's a miscommunication thing often. Yeah, right? yeah. and. It, there were indications where they had been talked to and they just decided to like, you do have the right to defend uh, against mm-hmm. uh, other advice um, and people who did that anyway. And right. then it was often the case. So yeah, that's so true. Like it does, it does look bad on them if you don't continue or if you don't finish or you don't pass. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's in their interest also. So it's, yeah. it's good to have um, confidence in that. Yeah, exactly. I remember what I was going to ask you and I, I guess we can wrap it up here because I think this sure. might be a good note to wrap it up on. Um, so you talked about like when you're setting down to work at, or creating um, kind of an environment where you're like, okay, I'm going to get into the work now. Uh, how do you do that? Is there a particular spot you like to work in or particular like, I like to have my coffee and I like, I like to listen to a particular type of music, but like, how do you get into that productivity zone where you're like, okay, now I'm now I'm writing or now I'm working. Yeah, I, I think there's some things I do, um, which I think fall under the pretty typical things. Like I do like to have a cup of coffee or something to, or even water, like something yeah. there. And music, although it changes a lot, you know, I do like, 
Um, sometimes I, I think a lot of it is just listening to yourself a little bit. And sometimes I am in the mood where I need something non-vocal and calm and I'll listen to, I don't know, some mellow jazz stuff. Or sometimes I'm in the mood where I want to crack my knuckles and get a bunch of this coding done, in which case I like high, high paced, fast paced, high beat music. Um, with lyrics is fine because I'm not trying to write English. I'm trying to write Python, which doesn't overlap the lyrics at all. So that's fine. Um, but then other times I'll sit and I'll be sitting at the computer and I'm like, okay, I'm I want to be productive. And I'll realize I actually just need to get up and walk, you know, walk in the park for 10 minutes mm. and come back. And, or I need to, or I go this, I'm at the point in my, like my brain is telling me I need to like, just do something like go for a walk or get in the shower and just think about let your mind wander. And sometimes yeah. you don't wander. It doesn't wander anywhere um, productive per se, and that's okay. And then you sit down and you're like, great, I did that for myself. Now I'm ready to sort of reset and try again and listen to what I need. And um, I mean, there's, this, there's a, a great story about this math, um, this math researcher, I'm not sure he's a professor, um, who early in his career published a math paper that had um, turned out to have an error in it. And he, uh, he was like chastised by the community. It sounded like a pretty bad situation overall. But anyways, he went through the paper and he was too afraid to sort of publish anything else for a long time. And he spent the next like 50 years just at home and he would go for walks every day and literally just think about stuff. But he was clearly still interested in math and, and wanted that kind of thing. And later on, he um, all of a sudden he had this idea for how to solve this kind of unsolved problem in math, which is about whether there's a finite gap between prime numbers as you get bigger and bigger, whether hmm. there's, and he published this paper, which I, I believe the paper was that he found some number that was finite, it was big, but it was finite, that was sort of this gap. And maybe it was less than that, but at least it was a finite thing. And it's this huge unsolved problem in math. And he, all he did was walk around all day thinking about different things. And he came up with something and did it. And that was like the second paper he published or whatever in his degree. And that, that was you know all he really needed, right? And so there is value, you know, that's an extreme example, but there's a, there is value in um, not thinking about your research. Yeah. And so, and so oh yeah. Like the, that's what, I've definitely had dreams. I remember earlier on before candidacy and I uh, like woke up at four and I just could not get back to sleep. So I just let my mind wander. And then I figured out the problem I was having with planning out my yeah. research cycle. So yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to circle back, that is one thing that, that, you know, grad student leadership can give you is a way to not think about, <laughs> well, yeah. think about academics, which can help you think about academics. So that's true. Thinking about uh, sorting out another problem. I can't remember. I don't know, like letting your brain just work on other problems actually helps you solve, yeah. the, solve another problem. Yeah. I can't remember sure. where I read that, but I was definitely reading about that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast Absolutely. and chatting about writing and grad leadership and postdocing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Britt. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at educateme underscore pod and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you again to our audio producer, Sean, and join us next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. Until then, stay in school.